Psalm 63, verse 1 to 5. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, and my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Oh, Thank you, Hannah. Yes, Lord, we just uh, thank you for your uh, amazing word, and uh, I just pray, Lord, it would go deep into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take a seat. So, as um, Sam already spoke to, uh, we're in a we're in a season of prayer and fasting, and. I'm just aware that there were some people who might have been away over the last couple of weeks, um, or maybe you haven't picked up some of the comms, um, but I just want to encourage you that um, don't worry that you can get, jump on board today. Like, you don't need to, oh, I missed the boat, I didn't start last, you know, sort of Sunday. You can say, right, I'm going to start today, or I'm going to start tomorrow. And so I just encourage you um, to, to I'll, I'll just in a second go through the different ways that you could do that. Um, but I also know that there's probably people in this room that you might have started off with a hiss and a roar, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and then maybe they had a massive uh, shout at your work or something, or <laughs> you had something you had to go to or a dinner or something, and it just kind of scuttled your plans with your frequency of your fasting or your prayer. Um, it's okay. It's all about grace. Why don't you get on back on board the wagon now? We've got two more weeks to go. We're doing this together as a church. Let's be intentional. And some of the ways that you can do that um, for fasting is there's various options. Um, obviously, there's kind of complete fasting where people are going without food and they're just having water or maybe some liquids, uh, like coffee or tea. Uh, and some people may feel called to do that, and um, you may do that in different frequencies. That could be just a missing a meal, um, or missing maybe not eating till dinner time on one day. You might be doing a number of days, or maybe you called you felt called to do the whole 21 days. Um, if that is you, that's fantastic. Uh, but I, if you are doing a longer fast, I would encourage you just to think about it, take into account your, your health, and um, please talk to your GP if, if you're concerned about anything. Uh, we don't want anyone having any health problems, particularly if you've got things like diabetes and that. Um, there's other, like, like I talked about, partial fasting. You can do like in different ways. There's so many methods. And then you can have like a, a selective fast, um, where it's often called the Daniel fast, where people kind of... Uh, choose to go without uh, certain foods, like basically getting rid of kind of rich foods like dairy products and meat and um, a lot of processed kind of food and tea and coffee and then they're just having um, very simple vegetables and things like that. So that's, that's, can be, that's quite a sacrifice as well and that's another option if you need to eat because maybe you're working as a, a builder or you're um, working as a fireman or something and you need lots of energy to work kind of thing. Um, last thing is, if, uh, I realise there's some people who just cannot do any kind of form of fasting, like food, food abstinence, and that's like a soul fast. So this might be something like social media, or um, TV shows, or movies, or, or just something you find yourself doing a lot of, and you just want to put aside for a season to get more of God. 
So they're the, the, the ways. And then these are the three points that we've just invited everyone to. Um, would you add this to your personal prayer every day? So the first one is praying for an outpouring of renewal in our church here at Kōrimakal, um, our city, and our nation. The second one is pray for the next generation, um, that they would be filled with God's presence and power. And the third one is pray for physical, mental, and emotional healing for people in our church and people who are connected to our lives, our neighbours, our friends, our work colleagues. So if you could at the very least even do that, that would be fantastic. We really appreciate it. And then, um, as Sam has said, there's these corporate um, prayer meetings that we've got going on too. And I just encourage you, if you haven't been to one, they've been fantastic so far and so encouraging. Maybe just commit to try to come to one of them um, over this time. But really lean into that. And this is uh, something quite encouraging as well. I... uh, I uh, gather with a, a group of pastors um, from around the country. It's, it's a sort of an informal kind of thing, but we just get together to encourage each other, and we're all at different churches. And uh, they're aware that we, we as a church were doing this 21 days of prayer and fasting, and they were you know, really inspired by that, and they, they themselves as pastors were like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to join in with you to get you to the finish line kind of thing. And they, then they said, and then they got even more stirred up about it, and they were like, we're going to call our churches to do this. And so these churches are um, Bay Vineyard Church in Napier, the Well Church in Christchurch, Tarotini, which is in Hamilton, Central Vineyard and Valley Road Church, which is in Auckland. And so they're all going to be joining in with us from that last week leading up to Pentecost. So I think that's fantastic. I, I definitely feel that there's, talking to lots of church leaders and people around, there is a stirring of prayer and fasting that is going on. And we, we really want to lean into this season. I've been just so encouraged that there's um, hearing people in our church just leaning into this. They're doing it. They're praying. And I just feel faith rising in this place, don't you? It's great. Well, I'm going to start with uh, just another wonderful story of my fasting journey. I spoke the first time around my world vision uh, failure when I was about eight. But in my 20s, I was like, I started, I started doing some fasting. I was like, oh, I could, I could do this, you know. And so I did a day and things like that was good. Enough. And, then, and then I was like, I'm going to do a longer fast. And my first mistake was that I... I was like, I didn't actually set a time. I was just going to go, let's see how, how long I can go. And I got to about three days, and it was absolute agony. I was just hungry. I was tired. I, I had not prepared myself very well. And on the third day, I went with, some, um, went with some friends, and they were out. And then they said, oh, let's go to this kebab place. Well, that was the end of my fast. <laughs> I ate this massive kebab, and, and I, I, I absolutely wolfed it down. Like, I didn't even like chew it. I was just like, oh, 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 right, and, and, it, and it felt so good. If you've done any form of fasting, when you have that first bit of food and really good food, it's like, oh, your, your stomach's like, oh, like mouth's like coming alive, taste buds are roaring. Unfortunately, though, if you do fasting for a more than a day or so, and you do something like that, and you eat fast like that, it causes serious indigestion. 
So what I did was I, I went back home that night. I was in my flat, so no one was there to care for me, no mum or girlfriend or anything. And I was just lying in my bed like an agony, like moaning or like, oh, you idiot, Nick. <laughs> so it's an encouragement if you, yeah, you are doing a longer fast, please end it gently, like a bit of watermelon, a bit of soup or something, not a big fat kebab, you know. Well, today I'm just talking about starting with Psalm 63. And uh, this is one of the, a very beautiful psalm of King David. And they believed that this was written either when he was fleeing from Saul or he was fleeing from his son Absalom. In either case, the, the situation is the same. He's running for his life. And he's in the desert, in the Judean desert, in the wilderness. Probably could be writing this in a cave. And uh, St. John Chrysostom, a famous saint, tells us that among primitive Christians, it was decreed and ordained that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. That's how beautiful it was to the early Christians. And it says here in the first verse, uh, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being, this is your soul, your spirit, your body, everything within you longs for you, deeply desires you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Do you feel like you're in a desert this morning? Do you feel like you're dry? Um, I, I, I am aware that you know, Christianity is struggling in the West and in our country and it seems like rising secularism is, you know, keeps going up. And it seems like there's a, there's a real battle for our souls and for our country. And, and I, I, just, I just felt about that. What, what, what a beautiful psalm to kind of encapsulate that moment of being in a place. Because we often think about deserts as, as terrible places. And, and often they are if you're without water and supplies. <laughs> Um, But one of the gifts of a desert or wilderness is that it shows who we really are and who we ultimately trust in when everything is stripped away. When you're on the run, your life's in danger. How are you going to respond? And uh, Charles Spurgeon said this about this verse. He said about David, King David, that he was... There was no desert in his heart, even though he was surrounded by desert. We don't have control over our word and our, uh, yeah, we don't have our control over our world and our challenges which we face. Um, Being faithful to Jesus in a world of devices, social media, pornography, financial pressures, political uh, political divisions, but we do have control over this our heart, and what we do with it in every circumstance. And look at how he responds to a situation. Verse 2, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Why was he able to do that in the, in the most difficult circumstances? 
because he had had an experience of God. Have you had an experience of God in your life? Like more than just an intellectual belief that he's real, but actually has it touched your heart? Have you experienced the love of God that goes deep into your heart? I have, and it's transformed my life. In a sense, it's ruined me for, for the things of the world and, and other things. You know, you know, I get distracted by things as well, but, but I'm like, oh, no, I know, God, you're real, and I know your love is real, and it's transformed me. And so even in difficult circumstances, I will cry out to you. And he's hungry and thirsty for God's presence. This is what he longs for. Which leads him to make this profound statement, and I think the, you know, the most beautiful line in this whole psalm. I haven't gone through the whole psalm, there's actually more to it, but just, I just want to highlight these first few verses. Verse 3, because your love is better than life. What a line, eh? See, when you've been encountered the living God, when you've experienced that liquid love, as I know many of you have, it, you know that it is better than anything else this life could offer. Hey? There's good things in this life, amen? But the love of God, his presence, being with him, nothing else matters than that. That is the, that is the priority of our life. And when we have encountered the living God, that's what we long for. Your love is better than life. And then down in verse, and then he just responds in the next verses in four. Um, My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up your, my hands. And then down in verse five at the bottom, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. His response is worship. To the transformed heart and the difficult circumstance, his response is worship. Fakamoimati. This is one of our key values here, that we are worshippers, that we cry out to the living God, hungry and thirsty for his presence, because we have experienced his love. And then he continues in verse 5, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food. I don't know what your Christmas days is like, um, but mine involves a lot of food. So Avert your eyes if you're fasting. (laughs) And I do this every year. I say I'm going to pace myself. But I don't. I start with that big breakfast, you know. It's like pancakes or something like that. And there's chocolates and all sorts of drinks and juice and what have you. And then we go to my my, uh, in-law's family or down at my family. And we had this big lunch and there's... Oh, so many amazing meats and beautiful vegetables. I even put a leaf of, you know, salad on there just to make it all justified. And I eat and I eat and I eat till I'm stuffed. Have you ever done that? At a... But somehow I have room for dessert, for ice cream and cheesecake 
and trifle, which I never eat throughout the rest of the year, but I've got room for that that day. And I fool and stuff myself, and then I usually just lie down on a couch and enter into a food coma. <laughs> Isn't it the most wonderful thing? This is, I shouldn't be saying this during a fasting talk, eh? That's a very bad uh, pastoral thing, but what I'm, the point I'm trying to make there is, is this is what David is saying. I'll be fully satisfied as with the riches of food. He is having a, a banquet of the Lord's love and presence that he's stuffed. Not just a little bit, not just, oh, I'll pray occasionally or anything. He's so deep in the love of God that he's filling up at the buffet table and he's stuffed in God's presence. It's, it's overflowing out of him almost like he's like, oh, God, your presence. There's nothing more important. And I think it links to a, 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 a verse in John 4.32 where the disciples are, are saying to Jesus, hey, we're hungry. I'm going to get some food. You, you want to grab a kebab, Jesus? And he says to them this line. He says, I have food to eat which you do not know about. In effect, he's saying, I have something you do not have. Deep relationship and communion with God the Father. I think it's the same concept there. That, and I want to encourage you if you're fasting, even though you're going without food or types of food, that you are, are nourishing yourself on the presence of God, that you have been filled up with Him, and you know you're having the, you're, you're having that food that, um, like Jesus said, that 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 we don't know about. Like it's this beautiful, deep spiritual nourishment for our souls. But as we encounter that love, that fully satisfies, satiates our hearts, it 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 causes us to. It causes us to want to give that love to others. It, you know, the reality is, is when you've been so transformed by God's love and so full and so satiated with his love, you can't but help wanting other people, your friends, your family, your neighbours, everyone in your church, everyone you know, I want them to be touched by the presence of God. I want their lives to be renewed. And that is where I'm, I'm kind of taking the, as we, as we traject towards the end of this message, I, I really want to talk into that. That's really this place of contending. And, and all contending is, 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 in a sense, is persisting. It's asking. It's, it's crying out to God to move. I love the uh, story about the Hebrides revival. Um, I don't know if many people have heard of that one. It might be because I've got Scottish heritage, so I'm like, yeah, okay, this is great, I love it. I've also got Welsh heritage, so I'm going to claim the Welsh revival as well. <laughs> and I'm a little bit English, so, you know, Wesley and all that sort of stuff too. I've got, I've got it all. And I, but I, it's such a beautiful story because the Hebrides, if you don't know, is these little islands sort of off the coast, really remote off the, off the coast of Scotland. So you're thinking little little places... Um, little places like little islands, you know, tiny little communities, very rural. And they had this revival from 1949 to 1952. It's a, such a beautiful story about being persistent in prayer and seeking God's presence being poured out in their community. And it, it started with these two old ladies. A lot of these are renewals and revivals. Um, start with 
just a couple of people, faithful saints, who just get on their knees and cry and pray, often for years, uh, to see God move. And these two ladies who are in this picture here, uh, the guy in the middle was a guy called Duncan Campbell. He was the, a minister that was involved in the revival. Um, but it started with these two ladies. Uh, one's Peggy and Christine Smith. Uh, they're 84 and 82. One was blind, and the other had very severe arthritis. And they were greatly burdened because of the state of, of the church in their community. This is the 19, yeah, getting close to the 1950s. Uh, there was a lot of um, people giving up, on, sort of moving away from church. They were seeing the younger generation disinterested in church, and it, they, put, they had a burden on their hearts. They, they actually was, um, couldn't even get down to the church because of their conditions and stuff, so they used to just gather together to pray. And the church in their, in, their, in their little island in the Hebrides was such in need of an awakening. These women took it upon themselves to pray until revival comes. They spent hours in prayers, sometimes praying from 10 p.m. till 3 or 4 a.m. in their little cottage. Now, this is um, not 2023, and they didn't have central heating then. These are little old, um, like, tiny little... Um, Tiny, you know, these sort of kind of places. Like, they're not fancy kind of places. Like, they're, it would have been freezing cold. And they're praying from 10 a.m., uh, 10 p.m. till 3 and 4 a.m., you know, throughout the week. And as their intercession intensifies, they, um, some, some other people joined in, which often happens when two or more are gathered and they start praying and they build momentum, they start consisting in prayer. And they did this every Tuesday and Friday. And they began to pray this promise out of Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. For I will pour on the thirsty land and the streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. What a wonderful verse, eh? Especially in light of that psalm I just read. And, I, and I, I feel like, you know, yes, we've had an incredible amount of rain. Like, in the natural, there's a lot of rain in New Zealand, totally, eh? And seems to be more and more. Um, but I think spiritually, we are, we are thirsty and dry land. And we need God's presence. And I think that's a beautiful prayer that they just keep praying over and over again. I was actually talking to my, my dad about this because we're talking about the story. And he just made this point to me, which I'll, I'll reference him now to use, is, is that God doesn't get tired of our repetitions, like in our prayers. Like, I think sometimes we think he gets bored of these kind of, like, praying the same prayer, like praying the Lord's Prayer or praying out of a certain scripture. Um, now, he, only, he doesn't like it when we do it in a vain way, like vain prayers where our heart's not in it. But when our heart's in it, you can pray a verse like that over and over and over again, just like that persistent widow or the persistent neighbour, just asking, asking the Father, would you move? Would you move in our community? And so they just did that over and over again. So after, um, after praying um, like that, one evening, while the minister and the church leaders, both the men and the women, were praying in a barn, probably something similar to this, a young deacon who had joined them read from Psalm 24, verse 3 to 5. 
Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean heart, hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul into vanity and nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. When he closed his Bible, he looked at the minister and the others and said, it seems to me there's so much humbug to be praying as we're praying, to be waiting as we're waiting, if, our, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. He then prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Immediately at around 3 a.m., the presence of God gripped every person present. It wasn't only then that they sensed this, for the entire village and largest surrounding area sensed the same awareness of God. The following day, everyone was absorbed by the reality of eternal things. That group of intercessors left that barn at the early hour and found men and women kneeling along the roads, crying out for God for mercy. It's overflowed from a few people and a thing. Mark says has a saying that uh, revival is renewal gone viral. So the renewal starts in the church and then it explodes out into into our communities and stuff. And that's what's happening here. It's, It's gone viral. Every home had lights on as no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. And then what they did was they, they, as part of their prayer life, they'd actually had a vision of this, of this minister, Duncan Campbell, who didn't live there. That was the guy who was in the middle of that photo. And they actually um, wrote to him and said, come, come to this, we need your help and stuff. And, and initially he said no, because he was in the middle of doing other work in other places. And they, they keep praying and persisting, and he actually eventually came. And they gathered in this, uh, in this church uh, Barvis Church, and um, he sort of led a service, and it was a good service, um, you know, things were sort of happening, but not really happening, and so at the end of the service, it, yeah, everyone left, and a young deacon was the, was the only one left with Duncan Campbell, and that, that young deacon, knowing God was going to do something more that night, in the middle of the aisle said to Duncan Campbell, nothing has broken out tonight, But God is hovering over us. He is hovering over us, and he will break through any moment. That young man then lifted his hands and started to pray, God, you made a promise to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and you're not doing it. What a bold prayer, eh? To to say to God, you know, he challenged God, will you, will you answer, I'm asking for the thing, will you do it? And I don't know if I could pray that prayer. I hope I could, but that's so bold. He then intensely began interceding prayer for a considerable period of time, then collapsed to the fore. At around 11 p.m., the back door of the church opened, and a man entered. Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Mr. Campbell, we were praying that God would pour water on thirsty, floods upon dry ground, and listen, he's done it. He's done it. Will you come to the door and see the crowd that is here? It was then that the Campbell witnessed many hundreds of people entering the church. No one had invited them. They were drawn sovereignly by God. At that late hour of the evening, by 12 midnight, the church was crowded out. 
And then there's this beautiful sto- other stories of uh, that wander through the villages and stuff, and there were people congregated around the police station, just sovereignly bought by God. To, they're just crying out and confessing their sins, and they just needed someone to pray for them, and then they just, you know, came and prayed for them. This, this spontaneously happened throughout all these islands. It was a, a transformative work of God, and it all started with two old ladies gathering faithfully, persisting in prayer, praying a very simple verse over and over. And God moved in a mighty way. And as I close, I've been very uh, interested in the Asprey renewal, outpouring, revival, I don't know what you call it, uh, happened over in America, in Kentucky, at a, at a university in February this year. Um, Basically, again, very similar in a way, a church service just sort of kind of came to a close, but didn't close. And a few people stayed and were worshipping and then confessing sin and then praising. And then it just gathered momentum. More and more people came till this thing was overflowing with people. They had crowd, thousands of people from all over the world went there just to be in that space in the presence of God. Some people were lining up for four to five hours just to be in that space. Imagine lining up for four to five hours to come into church this morning. Like this is the hunger and the thirst that these people had to to encounter the living and real God. And I, I just can't help but wonder, are we in that moment that something could change? That God could do something great in our land and our in our time? Not for our sake, but for our children and our grandchildren, so that the church can go on for how long till Jesus returns. But we need his spirit more than ever. Mark Sayers says this thing, he says, When the tide goes out, it only does so to build energy so that it comes back with even more force. And I'm pretty aware that the tide has gone out for a while. And when the tide goes out of it like a desert, it, it, it looks bare, exposes the rocks. It feels, you know, it doesn't look lifeless. It looks lifeless, but the water can come back, and it will come back in force. Jesus said this, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? A good father. Like, how much more will he do? And I, I just sort of finished with this. Lord, do it again. That's, that's the prayer of my heart. Lord, do it again.